Welcome to Projected Futures, where we explore the possibilities of projection mapping. I'm Ryan Ritchie. My guest today is Philippe Bergeron, the co-founder and CEO of Paintscaping, a company creating projection mapping experiences at epic proportions. Today we'll be talking about their most recent event, the first ever projection mapping show on an operational rocket, a Delta IV at Cape Canaveral in Florida. You can see a video of that project on our website at projectedfutures.net. And we'll also talk about his unusual background and, of course, the future of projection mapping. Philippe, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ryan. Very excited. Uh, of course, I'm anxious to talk to you about your company's recent project with the Delta IV rocket. But first, let's back up a bit. What led to you starting Paintscaping? A mistake. <laughs> what happened is I was in my backyard. And I was projecting an image uh, on a pond. The image was not lined up. That, that, that was not mapping, just straight projection. And it was a really cheap projector, like 800 lumens. And I, um, I touched the mouse by mistake. And I painted, there was a, a Photoshop type, not even Photoshop, a cheap uh, software. And I touched the mouse and I painted the rock with light. Mm. And that changed my life. <laughs> and when was that? That was in 2009, uh, January 17th. I'll never forget. Wow. And, you know, now, of course, there are these these giant projectors, which we'll get to. But uh, 2009, this is more of a, a nascent industry at that point. Yeah. At that point, I, th I felt like um, Thomas Edison. I thought I had invented uh, uh, spatial augmented reality. I, I had not, <laughs> but um, it was not very popular in North America. It was very, very popular in Europe, though. Mm -hmm. uh, North America had virtually no company doing it or very little. So um, when I started uh, doing research, I thought, well, this is great. And the following day we go, we went painting the landscape, paint, paint, paintscaping was born. And I understand you had that conversation with your co-founder. Julia, the co-founder, Julia Bergeron, co-founder of Painscaping, and she's always behind the scenes because I've got a big mouth and she's just a sweet woman. But she basically takes care of every lead we get. Every job we ever book is because of her. And, and in that sense, she does amazing work. And, and then it's been quite a few times when once we have the project, she leaves the project and moves on to the next lead, and I take over. And there's been many times a client has said, we like working with you, Philippe, but where's that nice lady we, we talked to at the beginning of the project? It's really her we want. Aha. Uh -huh. Especially in those early days, did you find it, because the concept was new, especially here in North America, did you find it to be a tough sell with clients for them to, to, to understand what it was you were trying to do? Oh. Yes. I mean, you would call them uh, and nobody understood. They thought I was on drugs. Um, <laughs> so we started doing demos at our house. They said, the only way you could get this is if you see it live. We can't even videotape. It doesn't do it justice. Uh, so, so people came. Um, and um, one, one of the guys that came was from Tempest Lighting. They do enclosures for projectors. And ultimately, uh, that's what uh, started uh, our uh, presence in Vegas. And so Paintscaping begins 11 years ago, 
give or take. Take us through some of the the projects you've done through the years and sort of the scale of the the type of projects you do. The, f- the first big project we did in 2009 was because of my wife's sister worked at the Ritz-Carlton uh, Kapalua in Hawaii. And they hired us to do their uh, winter uh, Christmas uh, tree, tree uh, lighting. And it was about 100 feet wide, so it was humongous. They paid us $2,000 for a month of work. So obviously, we didn't make any money. But now we had this uh, massive uh, Ritz-Carlton on our uh, reel. Our next job was Ritz-Carlton Cancun for Sony Pictures. And there, there was money. And that was our real first job. And we were like so green, but we made it happen and got a standing ovation. We've done uh, tons of projects, about 150 mappings. But some of the highlights would be the 200th anniversary of University of Virginia in Charlottesville. 2017, 200 uh, years to the day where Thomas Jefferson laid the first brick. So that was epic. And then we did Park MGM in Vegas. That's the largest U.S. mapping ever, North American mapping ever, for that matter. That was 550 feet wide by 26 stories high, 28 barcode, 32K. <laughs> and and so if I'm sensing a theme, it's that uh, many of these projects are are not small. <laughs> They're not small, um, but you it's not about scale. At the end, I mean, I love to brag about scale. That's an easy parameter to brag about, but ultimately it doesn't matter. It's about people feeling how they feel when they watch a show. Are they laughing and crying for the right reasons? At the end, it's about touching people. It's like a movie. I, I keep using Pixar as an example. Nobody goes to see a Pixar movie because the resolution is high and the water simulation is perfect. They go to to cry and laugh and have a good time. It's the same with mapping. Let's back up a, a step here. Before that that aha moment and the the epiphany where paintscaping was born, give us a little bit of your your background because I, I wonder at times if maybe you know, especially your awareness of how important story is might might spring from what you were doing before you got into projection mapping. Yeah, so I had a pretty eclectic career prior to that. Uh, basically, I, um, in a nutshell, I've got a master's degree in computer science, and I guest starred on The Sopranos. <laughs> so, so I really used both sides of my brain. I was a C- CGI um, super geek in the 80s. Uh, we, we co-created uh, in Montreal the world's first human uh, generated by computer, uh, CGI, uh, computer graphics, uh, that had emotion. And we were in Time magazine. We became very famous in that world. Uh, th- that's what made me move from Montreal to L.A. And then in L.A., I got sick of computers after three years. And I did what everyone does when they come to L.A., and I started doing stand-up. Hmm. And I was a horrible stand-up comedian. <laughs> I really sucked. But improv, I was surprisingly good. And then improv led to acting. So for 15 years, I had a pretty healthy acting career. Never, be, never became a star, but I've been in many movies and TV shows you've seen. You know, Iron Man 2, Rush Hour 3, Contact, Godzilla. The good one, the one with uh, Matthew Broderick. <laughs> uh, and then on, on TV, uh, ER, Man Men, uh, Alias, uh, and Sopranos, of course. So my brain is really wired to use both the left and right. 
So when I did that, uh, that that's January 17, 2009 mistake, I got it immediately. Absolutely. I knew that the future of the entertainment would be mapping and that would be my future. And jumping ahead, so you, you've since then put together all of these different projections of, of epic proportions, which leads us to a very recent project. And that, of course, is your recent projection mapping of a rocket at Cape Canaveral. How did that project come about? And, and give us some of the background on that. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, that was, that was epic. There, there's no way around it. Um, we got the first email from ULA, United, United Launch Alliance. Uh, they, they're not as known as SpaceX, but their track record is absolutely sensational. Uh, they're um, a, uh, a merging of uh, Boeing and uh, Lockheed. And I mean, they were involved in John Glenn going to space. Hey, they go back way back. So anyway, they called us in 2015. It took five years. Uh, they wanted to be the Delta IV Heavy, which has a triple rocket, triple boosters, um, and at, at Cape Canaveral. So we, had, we were scheduled 2018. And then we, it got scrubbed three times. They canceled us and they said, we'll see you again 2020. Uh, the one 2018 was for NASA. The one uh, th- that we did three weeks ago was for the NRO, National Reconnaissance Office, and it was classified. But the, the challenges on this job were numerous and not standard. Like, for example, they told us that the projectors could not emit any frequencies. Hmm. Nobody's ever asked us that. So we had to prove it, that the projectors did not emit radio frequencies. It's not as easy as you think. You call Christie or Barco or Panasonic. They don't, at first, they go, why? Why, why would you need that? Well, I need it. What can I say? And, and then we were, in, what was just amazing is that we were inside the pad. Now, for space buffs, inside the pad, there's nothing separated the projectors separating the projectors from the rocket. But that's how close we were. Uh, and it was uh, just uh, an amazing project. Um, and even with that proximity with the projectors, I assume you were probably quite limited in, in where you could position them. There was not a lot of choices. We chose a spot, um, pretty funny, uh, on August 20th, we arrived to place the projectors. And you know those big, huge floodlights that they mm. use to light as a launch? Mm-hmm. Well, those guys had took, take, t- taken our spot. <laughs> they didn't read the logistics document. So we had to mo- make them move those spotlights. Because <laughs> we couldn't, we, you know, w- with mapping, it's preferable to, u- to use the original projector location that you calculate. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you could move, but we preferred not at that point. So let's talk a little bit about that pre-production. I'm assuming that you you were building this show uh, on some sort of simulation of the rocket in some 3D software somewhere. Is that basically the approach to to the, creating the visuals? Yeah, yeah. So the process is uh, first you got to acquire the 3D information of your canvas. When we use Canvas, I mean, whatever we're projecting on. So you have to create a 3D model of that. So we use photogrammetry. I know it's a big word, but basically you take about 100 photos for left, right, close, far of your Canvas, which is interesting because when I told them that, um, I told them I need to, that was in 2018. 
I told them I need to go really close to the rocket. I went under the boosters to take photos. To, I mean, I was in a place that no civilian had ever been before <laughs> or very close. Um, so you create this 3D model and then you uh, put it in the software and, uh, and you reproject that 3D model onto the real life counterpart. And that's how you create 3D mapping. And so for the show itself, how were you using multiple media servers? How did you actually get the, the content to the projectors? Now you're probably wondering, did we use D3, this guy's or Pandora's box? Exactly. And, uh, no, we don't. We simpl- we've simplified quite a bit. We, we use QLab hmm. on a Mac. Interesting. <laughs> you know, you have to understand that a lot of times the reason we're able to do these big shows is because we simplify the process. Um, so we're always trying to simplify. Don't complexify your, 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 uh, your pipeline. So QLab on a Mac, on, on a regular laptop. Fascinating. And so that drove, and how many projectors were involved? Now that um, was awesome. Uh, well, it's not the number of projectors, but it's the projectors themselves. Uh, originally, the show in 2018, the MST, um, which is that structure around the uh, rocket, you know, mm-hmm. that protects the rocket, sure. was moved out. Was a hundred? We were going to do the show just a few hours before launch. They said for this year that it had to be the day before. So all of a sudden, I needed stronger projectors because the MST was closer to us. I needed to widen my lenses and whatnot. So I called Christy. I said, hey, I want to use your new 45Ks. Hmm. And they said, hell yes. Um, so we use six Christy DK4K40. Uh, they are 45,000 ISO lumens each. Which is just incredible. And, and you know, you've come a long way since the 800 lumens on the pond. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, from a rock to a rocket. You've got QLab running on a Mac and you're feeding out uh, video to to the projectors. I'm curious, though, how much time did you need to have on site to sort of to get this all ready for the big show? Well, I've got this guy, Mike Cianciola. He's, he's, he's an absolute genius. He's a pain in the ass to work with, but uh, we're like brothers. A lot of times people ask us if we're married. I don't know if I should take <laughs> We argue all the time from the client, doesn't matter anymore, but he is fantastic. So he's the one in charge of all that. While I finish the content uh, adjustments uh, in, my, in my bedroom in Cape Canaveral based on notes from the client, he takes care of all the alignments. So essentially, the file on QLab was 4K in height, 3840. And then we had uh, three projectors for the top of the... Uh, the structure and three projectors for the bottom. The three projectors at the top are lined up. They are triple stack, what we call. You know, so they're all projecting the same image lined up to each other. And uh, we, the reason we do that for uh, extra lumens and also redundancy. If God forbid one of your projectors uh, goes down, you still have a show. In this long process of sort of you know waiting for the next iteration, the next chance for a rocket launch and and for the show, I'm curious, did did the show itself continue to to evolve and change? Was the client sort of hands off on that? How did that relationship work? No, the client was awesome. I mean, they were super hands on, and they were so responsive. Uh, ULA 
was great because I would send a clip. I would get notes the day after. That is not always the case, believe me. So in that sense, they were fantastic. We did not always agree on creative, but it came, it, it made for a fantastic show. The, there were some changes from 2018 to 2020. The biggest change, obviously, was the section on their client. Because in 2018, it was the Solar Parker probe. That was a NASA project. Uh, it was a probe that went to the sun. So that section was completely eliminated for this show. And we've, we focused on the NRO, National Reconnaissance Office. Basically, I mean, to put it uh, bluntly, they send uh, spy satellites. Um, and it was classified. I have no idea what I mapped. <laughs> and so the night of the show, was there a, a live audience there? Were there executives there who saw the show in person? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the legacy of this show, obviously, is online after. But there was about 100 VIPs. I, again, I don't know exactly who were there, who was there, and we weren't with them. They were much farther away. We were they were farther um, than us, so we weren't physically with them. And uh, yeah, there was about a hundred people. We could hear the claps though, and the oohs and the haws about a thousand feet away. Obviously, every project has unique challenges, but what challenges or issues do you see in the industry, more broadly speaking, either technically or otherwise, sort of the bottlenecks or things that you would love to see improved? Well, there are several of them. Uh, one of them is, of course, po the power of the projectors. I mean, these projectors at 45K are big and massive. Uh, in the future, 45K will be in the palm of your hand in 10, 15 years. 20 years. But the biggest challenge in mapping, in my opinion, is moving objects that, uh, for example, let's say you want to map uh, uh, three people walking. You would be able in the future to acquire the 3D information in perfect real time, uh, process it, render, and reproject on the people with no latency. And that's, that's the holy grail of mapping. Right now, there is latency. And a lot of times the latency, believe it or not, is introduced by the projectors themselves. So that's that's challenging, you know, where you, you cannot acquire the information process, render, and reproject in one thirtieth of a second. Sure. It's not happening. There's about a latency of three, four frames, which is still awesome, but it's not good enough if you have like dancers dancing really fast. You still have a latency. So I would say that's one of the big R&D projects in the, for the future of mapping. And you use Christie projectors for this particular project. Um, more broadly speaking, though, how do you feel the projector companies, uh, what's the relationship like with projector companies and projection mapping uh, folks like yourself? Well, they think we're weird. <laughs> But it's okay, you know, it, 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 it helps them get away from the boredom of corporate. Uh, you know, so we have great relationships with all the three big ones. I mean, there's tons of projector companies, but the three big ones are Christie, Barco, and Panasonic. I mean, we have great relationship, but we were also pain the ass. You know, we call them and say, how come we, you don't have that feature on your warp? We need that by tomorrow morning. And they go, sure, Philippe, whatever. <laughs> but because, yeah, in general, yeah, it's great. Yeah. What do you think is the outlook for the projection mapping industry right now, looking one to three years out, let's say? Wow. Like, like obviously, we've been massively affected by COVID. 
uh, all mapping companies. I mean, after all, we, uh, you know, we cater to events. Like, like the 100 people at uh, Cape Canaveral all wore masks. They were all well sitting, you know, uh, socially distant as much as you can. One of the niche, um, the, our, our niche um, that's working quite well is uh, doing mapping on sets, on movie sets. Now, movie sets were always also stopped, uh, but now it's picking up in Hollywood. And we've done two music videos in the last three weeks, and we're doing another one in about uh, two weeks. Uh, so, and this, this does not involve, there's no audience on set. There's a crew, but there's no audience. So it's essentially the legacy. I talk a lot in mapping that there's the live show, but there's the legacy to the show online. Legacy will probably become more important if COVID doesn't go. But I don't think mapping is gonna die because it's a way to it's a new way to light the real world. And there's sort of this area where the worlds collide between projection mapping and now virtual production and using, you know, curved LED screens in movies and TV shows. And it's interesting to see how those worlds sort of are, are meeting somewhere in the middle there. Um, like the Mandal- Mandalorian, right? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you had mentioned earlier, Mike, and and the work he does for you. I'm curious, what what are some of the qualities that you look for or, or, or skills that you would recommend for someone, you know, whether you're looking to hire someone for paintscaping or just in the industry in general? What What's helpful? Well, there's two types of people. That, well, there's several types of people, but the two main ones are the content creators and the installers. And they both speak completely different languages, which is great. One is, you know, cares about resolution and alignment. The other one does not care at all and just <laughs> cares about emotion and, you know, and making people laugh. So uh, in this case, well, one of the key qualities is patience with me. I'm a pain in the ass, but Mike is so good and he doesn't take any any stuff from me. Philippe, just go do content. Let me take care of the alignment. Leave me alone. <laughs> so qualities would be, in the case of installers, get it done. You will get problems. You have to solve them. It's on August 24th at 9 p.m. That's non-negotiable. So if you have a problem on August 23rd, Fix it. And Mike is, uh, is, is just, I don't know how he does it, but it works every time. We've had crises that were unbelievable. We were mapping uh, at the Big Sky, the biggest ski resort in the U.S., uh, a portion of the mountain for Sam Adams. And we lost a barco 13 minutes before the show. Uh, and our backup was used elsewhere. Um, so Mike, with uh, his assistant uh, Brent, replaced a board inside the barco in the snow, hmm. kneeled in two feet of snow at three minutes to the show, 3,000 people waiting for the show. And you could hear the MC buying time. Hey, you guys are cold. How are you guys doing? He was doing that just to buy time so we could fix the problem. Three minutes before the show, Mike calls me. I got it. <laughs> So, so that's for installers. For content creators, it's a little different. Content creators, for years, have been working out of their home. Uh, so the COVID virtually changed nothing in the workflow. Uh, content creators have to be great. They have to understand the vision. 
They have to understand the message and, uh, the, and the wow factor. In mapping, there's the narrative, but there's also wow. You need a healthy combination of both. So for content creators like Jerry or Michael Corey is another one of our fantastic, uh, and Rob Oster, oh, these guys are geniuses, but they, they all have this crazy vision. I, I, I would love to go in their brain and see what's going on. Obviously, the Delta IV rocket, now that's a pretty unique canvas for projection, but do you have any dream location where you'd like to project? I do. In terms of buildings, uh, the Capitol in Washington is one of my, on my list. But right now, it's so it's too low. Let's not talk politics. <laughs> but it is. Uh, so, but it, from a strictly uh, canvas point of view, sure. Capitol is pretty awesome. Uh, natural canvases, uh, the Grand Canyon would be great. The ultimate goal, if you ask any mapper, the ultimate goal of mapping is who's going to be the first to map the moon. And you've got the leg up. You've got the leg up with that uh, payload on the Delta Four. That's right. But the, the, to map the moon is, I would say, we're not going to get strong projectors for about 50 years. But I think to, to map the moon would have to be from the satellites around the moon. Um, and, but but in, interestingly enough, it, it's not, the technical aspect is formidable, but it's not a very exciting canvas. It's just a circle, right? So the big question is not the show or the technical challenges. It's what are you going to project as the first image ever projected on the moon? You know, the visual equivalent of uh, it's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And after careful thought, my choice would be a smiley face. But we'll see. I think we all could use a smiley face on the moon right now. But... <laughs> there you go. My guest today has been Philippe Bergeron, co-founder and CEO of the projection mapping company, Paintscaping. Philippe, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it was awesome, Ryan. Anytime. You can learn more about Paintscaping's projects at paintscaping.com. And before I go, I have a quick request. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews are key to more people discovering our show and growing the projection mapping community. Thank you for listening, and I hope you join us again next time for more Projective Futures.